After an accident, minutes matter. Your words and actions matter even more. You need help, and you need it now. This is David vs. Goliath, brought to you by Dolman Law Group Accident Injury Lawyers, a boutique firm with a reputation for going head-to-head with the insurance company giants and putting people over profits. Hey, I'm Stan Guype, and here with my partner, Matt Dolman, on another episode of the David and Goliath podcast. Today, we've got attorney Brian Hannon with us, and we're going to discuss a little bit about something that's been in current events and in the news lately. Alec Baldwin uh, just recently got charged criminally for his involvement in that on-set shooting during the filming of Rust, and I think most people are familiar with it, but for those that are not, Rust was a Western film Alec Baldwin was starring in. Uh, Like many Westerns, it involved the use of prop guns and supposedly blank ammunition. While rehearsing for a scene and getting ready, it turned out one of those prop guns had a live round in it. It uh, discharged, killing one of the assistants on set while Alec Baldwin was holding the gun been a lot of stories about this, and we want to get a little deeper into the facts and talk about the different moving parts of this uh, incident, but Alec was charged with involuntary manslaughter as a result of this and could face some time in jail. Matt, I know we talked about this a little bit earlier, but Matt and I don't really have a lot of experience with guns, okay? So if you handed me a gun, I really, you know, other than pulling the trigger, I wouldn't know what else to do with it. I really don't know how to get bullets in, get bullets out, stuff like that. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I don't have a lot of experience with guns. I've shot a gun once in my entire life. Um, so I'm not a, a big gun guy. Having said that, though, and maybe I, and we're going to ask Brian in a second. We have our esteemed guest, Brian Hannon, an experienced criminal defense lawyer. The fact that he pointed it and the question was whether it's a cold gun or not, right? And the cold gun means there's no bullet in there. It's just um, it's a, just a normal prop gun, correct? Yes. And in this case, there was it was obviously loaded. But there's no criminality, though. There was no criminal intent. So how does it go to where? How does he get charged for this? That's what I don't understand. Because again, we're, we're civil lawyers. You know, we handle civil cases. I've never handled the next criminal case I handle will be my first one. I'm certainly can am experienced at uh, talking about legal issues. But Brian, walk us through why was he charged? Was it overreached by the prosecutors? And what does this case look like? Well, when you look at involuntary manslaughter, it's it's a little bit different than the murder or anything like that that you would typically think of. You know, for murder, you need premeditation, you need intent, mm-hmm. all those types of aspects or elements to a crime. For involuntary, you know, manslaughter, you're really looking at it was there a willful and wanton disregard for human life. So it's more of like a culpable negligence type issue or question. So Basically, did Alec Baldwin demonstrate behavior that was reckless and one disregard for, you know, the other individual's life? And this is kind of where I was getting at. It's my understanding is this has to do almost with a a negligent conduct or a reckless conduct in an unreasonably dangerous situation. Mm -hmm. And this is where kind of where I was getting at, like Matt, for someone like Matt or I who do not hold guns on a regular basis, if you hand me one. Okay, my heart rate's jumping. I almost am touching it with two hands, and I am incredibly uncomfortable because I know this thing can kill me, and I'm not comfortable with it. Okay, there are certain people that are so comfortable with guns, they pick them up twice, three times a day, a hundred times. They don't even think about it, and I think they lose focus of the fact that no matter what, no matter how often you do it, 
There is never a time when you can say, I can handle a gun carelessly. I can be careless with it, or I don't have to pay the utmost attention. And I think what happens is people get familiarity with these things and lose focus of the fact of how dangerous this weapon actually is. So is that kind of part of it, Brian? Can just Do you have to have intent, or can it just be sort of you're just careless with something that's unreasonably dangerous. Well, careless is is kind of a different word. Reckless is the word that I would use because reckless is really what the standard is on this. And it could come in a couple of different aspects. Number one, on the movie set, there's not supposed to be live rounds, period. So is that taking on into account also his producer role? Because he was also just not only an actor, but a producer on the film. Yeah, that's what makes this whole thing interesting because that's what we're going to jump off that is What's his duty? Does he have a duty to check the round or check the gun to see if there is a live round? Because when you go handed a, a gun, it's generally, one would presume that's what you're going to do, but is that someone else's job on the set? But then he also has a heightened duty because he is a producer on this the, the very set that he's performing the stunt. Correct. I think they're going to look at it twofold. Number one, they're going to look at it as you know the individual with the firearm in his hand and also the producer aspect. Mm-hmm. To my understanding, they also charged uh, the other individual that is kind of responsible for those props on set. He was also charged with a lesser count, but he was also charged criminally in that matter. And then one of the interesting things that I, that I read with regards to this is Mr. Baldwin claiming that uh, the trigger was never pulled. And obviously, reckless behavior, if it's a firearm that's malfunctioning, would be a whole different thing than, than pulling the trigger and, and just acting reckless in regards to if there was a live round or not in there. Mm -hmm. And Matt and I discussed this a little bit earlier today. Myself, if you're talking about sort of the way I feel about the situation, the moment Alec Baldwin takes a path of denying responsibility as opposed to just complete sorrow for what's happened, turns my feeling about it, okay? How does a gun fire if you don't pull the trigger? I mean, that's my, like, I'm naive on this stuff, but I was always under the assumption that there's like one way to fire a gun and you pull the trigger. And if the trigger isn't get pulled, the gun doesn't fire. And that's the purpose of a safety. A safety keeps the trigger from pulling. And that's the FBI forensic report said it was was actually pulled. So that that whole defense doesn't go down the toilet. You would think. Yeah. I would think that the fact that they tested it and that it was a working replica or working firearm, that defense would not hold water. Do you do himself any injustice by doing that or by stating that? Of course. As a, as a criminal defense attorney, the number one thing we tell our clients is to say nothing. Don't speak. Uh, because the minute you say something or give a story, it now boxes us into that exact story. And they that might not be the angle you actually want to take at, at a trial or a, late, or a different proceeding. You might not want to have to use that defense, but now it's already out there. It's spoken. It's there. So to go against it is basically killing your own client's credibility. Is his defense now going to be that he just grabbed what he thought was a cold gun? Don't know. I think it's too early, but I think that they will probably try to go along with some extent that he never pulled the trigger because to back up your client's own words is basically to steal all his credibility with the whole issue. And I don't think that would boast well at either at a sentencing or a trial. And I think his defense, I think to Matt, to some extent, you're correct that his defense will be he thought it was a cold gun. My understanding, and my understanding is very naive, but my understanding of the roles on a set is whenever a prop weapon is used, every person who comes in possession of that weapon 
is charged with confirming that it's cold or that it has no no bullets in it. Someone says this is a cold gun, you get it. You're supposed to open, determine it's a cold gun. You've made that determination. Now you can hand it to someone else and tell them that. Mm-hmm. But my understanding is you're not just allowed to go, hey, someone told me this was unloaded, so I'm going to point it at you and pull the trigger. You can't be that careless on a set. And I think that's where we start to get to the rub here. And this is not something that's not foreseeable. Number one, you're using a gun and a firearm, but you've had other actors in the past killed on sets. I mean, one of the most famous was Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's kid. Yeah. How was he killed again? Was that, was that, it was gunfire, correct? It was gunfire when it, while I was shooting the Crow movie. I'm, okay. Now, I think some of those may have involved uh, misfires of prop weapons. My understanding too, and I think where Alec Baldwin as the overall producer, where you really run into some problems is I've heard rumors, you know, and my rumors come from the news media like everyone else is here. Like because of where this was, this Western out in the middle of nowhere on a ranch, that during their downtime, cast and crew would actually shoot real weapons, take target shots, shoot guns, things like that, which is what caused actual bullets to be on the set. Because of this, they had live ammunition on the set because they were playing with it. They weren't using it for anything. They were just using it for entertainment. And I think it's that live ammunition out on the set that allowed this confusion to occur. I'm by no means a movie star, but my understanding is that on any set, you're supposed to uh, have a huge... Well, it's my understanding you're not supposed to have live ammunition on the movie set, period. So just the fact that they were doing that could show a reckless disregard for human life. And that's one where I'm going with, the more you do something, the more comfortable you get with it, okay? And and no matter how comfortable you get with something, it doesn't change the level of danger that's inherent in that activity. It changes your level of comfort, and sometimes the level of comfort changes your level of care. And I truly believe that you get to a point where they're using guns on the set for fun, they're shooting stuff on the side, we're handing guns around like they're toys, you lose the serious implication of the fact that someone has put a weapon in your hand and you're next to someone because you're doing this for fun. You're doing it when it's not serious, okay? That's the producer's job. The producer's job is to maintain the set, maintain control over the set. This should have been a high-level rule, not only that he didn't violate, but that he instituted and ensured others did not violate. And I think that in and of itself is a major lapse. Even if he wasn't the one pulling the trigger, I think he's responsible for the safety on the set. Yeah, at the end of the day, you have a, a real bullet being used during a fictional gunfight. How does that play in front of a jury? How was a jury going to do with that? In addition, they actually also mentioned, and again, this comes from the same rumor mill as far as, far as the media, but the, they go into detail about how they were cutting costs on everything. So then, you know, how many safety checkers are you having? How many people are in that line to, to ensure, you know, that human life is valued and respected when using the firearms? Now, let me ask you this. We get on to another question. Do you think Alec Baldwin's celebrity status is going to have any impact on his sentencing? Of course. When I read an article, uh, briefly, it it talked about him looking at 18 months in jail. I can't speak knowledgeably of New Mexico law, but in Florida, you're looking at a 15-year sentence or a maximum. So the talk about that he's looking at 18 months in jail, I think is already taking into, uh, into account his celebrity status. I think when I read that the standard was an 18-month maximum penalty for involuntary manslaughter, but then I think out there there's also another statute that can put up to five years of additional uh, time on that if the involuntary manslaughter involves use of a firearm. So I think there's a a potential to hang 
you know, up to six years. But do any of us really believe we're going to see Alec Baldwin do a year in jail as a result of this? I mean, myself, I don't know why, but I can't bring myself to, to be convinced that a celebrity like Alec Baldwin's going to jail for this. Well, here's where it hmm. kind of gets a little complex because the state attorney or the district attorney is going to go to the family as well. And though it's the state of New Mexico versus Mr. Baldwin, they're going to take their thoughts and their feelings into any type of sentencing or possible plea arrangement. Uh, and it's my understanding that there was a monetary settlement that was agreed upon in, in regards to financial compensation for the loss. So then again, how much is that going to have into play on how the family feels about sentencing as well? I've not delved into that aspect of things in person, but I know Matt's probably dealt with this. Brian, you've dealt with this. We've all at some point in time, represented people who were hit by a drunk driver. And that drunk driver is facing a criminal penalty. My client, the injured party, is the victim. Okay. And I can tell you when someone is sitting there and they've got unpaid medical bills, they've not had, they've been out of work because of an accident and they're suffering financially, not paying their mortgage, having trouble with kids' school, stuff like that, they're a heck of a lot less forgiving about their situation and what's been done to them than when someone's actually made them whole. There's a certain element of that that relieves the suffering and at that point almost relieves the vengeance or the, or, or the desire to get your pound of flesh when you've been made whole. So I absolutely think that that will go into uh, the family's desire to see punishment. Yeah. And basically, again, it's the prosecutor's job to decide how much they weigh what the family feels and wants, because, you know, technically they're representing the state. But I would be a fool to say that that isn't usually a high consideration when coming to any kind of plea or deal agreement. How do you see us working out? Right now, I think it's a little too early. Uh, I think more facts need to come to light. Mm -hmm. You know, right now all we have really is the media reports and no offense to the media, but I, I always... I see it through a, a different lens sometimes when, as a criminal defense attorney, and sometimes some of the little facts are left out that make huge differences. I would foresee this being a plea deal or a plea arrangement. I would not foresee this going to trial. That's something uh, just based upon the fact of the exposure of prison time, the fact that even though judges in the system don't claim it to be true, there's what we call trial tax. So if you go to trial and you lose, you go to jail. Any offers that were previously done are now off the table. So there is a huge and inherent risk in going to a trial in a criminal proceeding. That's why so many people plead out to lesser offenses all the time. I would foresee in this case, a deal being struck and that this case never ever reaches a trial level. My guess, and I would put an over under, and this is just you know, throwing it in the wind, I'll put an over under at three months. I don't think three months is my guess I, I, right there. I don't see him doing more than that, but I don't see how they let him off without some, without sending a message to the community as a whole. Because there's, you know, let, sorry to back up, you know, there's several different purposes to punishment. And Brian got into it. It's not, it's not the family, the injured family that presses criminal charges. They bring civil charges. They, they go to collect money. It's the state that brings the criminal charges. And there's several different purposes. One purpose is to punish them for what's done. One purpose is to provide a little satisfaction to the victim. And another's purpose is to provide a deterrent aspect to society as a whole. Well, if this happened under a rock, no one would know what happened to Alec Baldwin. Right? This didn't happen under a rock. And I can assure you 
the next involunt, the guy who is in a situation similar to this, is going to be pointing to Alec Baldwin's punishment when it's time for him to get punished. Won't this set a chilling precedent, though, that we're going to charge performers? And performers now have a duty to check the, the very gun that they're given in a, in a movie set. Don't they have firearm experts on the set? And I read that there were firearm experts on the set that helped load the gun or help load the, what they thought were props. How is the actor responsible? There could be definitely a chilling effect. And as much as, you know, do action heroes now want to play in these big action movies where there's, you know, grenades, firework, you know, all these different things going on and firearms and machine guns. And it could definitely have a chilling effect. But I really haven't determined how, I don't think they've really set forward how they're actually charging him. Are they charging him as the actor and pulling the trigger? Are they charging him as a producer? What aspects are they really looking at as far as going forward with this? And I think a lot of that and, and a lot of the facts that play out will kind of set a line as to what's reasonable and what's not on a set. And depending on how unreasonably they acted and steps they didn't take is whether or not that chilling effect really comes to life. Mm-hmm. Um, if we want to get into this again on another podcast, I completely forgot. Like one of my best friends growing up, right? I've known him forever. He works in the special effects industry in movies and TV. And this is what he does because I've talked to him about it. I mean, he does blow stuff up. He shoots guns. I've played with his special effects stuff when we go to New Orleans. I should should have thought of bringing him on to discuss some of this stuff. But I know I've talked to him because I was somewhat surprised that in this day and age, we still use real guns on movie sets. You got fake plant. Like in a movie, you can produce anything fake. Like you just need a picture of someone. They can create a whole avatar background behind them. In this day and age, why are we still using real guns? Okay, why are we still using any type of any type of anything that creates an explosion? I mean, these can be adequately recreated in a special effects setting with a zero danger to the participants. And, and it boggles my mind that we'd still be doing this in today's day and age. What Stan just said, I think, is the reason why this is what weakens uh, Alex Baldwin's defense. He's the producer of this very movie. Shouldn't he have the responsibility of making sure that the actors and all individuals that are participating in this movie, including uh, those on and off uh, camera, are protected and are safe? Well, I, I think absolutely. And, and that's where I said, are they charging him as the, the actor using the gun and pulling the trigger? Or are they looking at it more deeply as a producer role, too, and, and the safety measures or mechanisms that he should have had in place? Mm-hmm. But as far as the question of using real guns versus fake guns, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen the newest Avatar. It looks great. Colors are great. But I don't believe the Avatar world really exists. When you use real weapons, real things, uh, they're hard to distinguish that they're, you know, they look real. That's, that's the basic effect of them uh, versus sometimes the green screens and the different things. Even though it might look beautiful, it doesn't look real. Well, I think to that extent, we can create a real-looking weapon that just doesn't have a real bullet in it. Well, a lot of times, too, on these weapons and stuff that they use, uh, firing pins and different things that will be will be taken out of the firearm to ensure that they can't actually fire. But again, does that go to who checked to see if firing pins are removed and, and, and certain components of the gun to see if it is operational? And, you know, I believe in this instance, they were trying to use a replica firearm, which shouldn't actually be able to fire. Obviously, it wasn't a replica firearm because it did fire. Yeah. Shocking. So, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of moving parts. And as we get some testimony, as trials move forward, we'll probably get to know a little bit more about the facts. And I think as the facts come out, they kind of color everyone's opinion on stuff. I mean, all of us have our initial takes on it, our feeling of what was right, what was wrong. But we do it based on what we've been fed from the media and 
I tend to believe most of what I've read about it, but I got a feeling there'll be a few more facts we don't know that come out and maybe change a few things here and there. Without kicking this subject to death, what about the, uh, you know, while we're on a subject of celebrity news, Florida. We were talking about the Florida or the, the rapper known as Florida. His verdict he just got this week in uh, Broward County for in the tune of $82 million. Okay, well, this could be a whole nother subject. There's a whole nother 15, 20 minutes we could get into on that because, you know, you got different moving parts. And this gets into a third sort of element of society. Like, with Alec Baldwin, okay, we've got essentially two legal claims we'd be looking at. One would be a negligence claim on behalf of the families to get damages. Okay, one is a criminal claim to punish Alec for what he did. With Flo Rider, we got neither of those. We got a standard breach of contract action. And it's almost a great story of karma. When you don't do the right thing initially, it can come back to bite you in the ass in a big way. And that's what happened to Celsius. I can just tell you that looking at it, and it, it's, it's a fun story to talk about. Well, just let's give the 90-second version of how Celsius tried to fuck over Florida. Let's, let's take us through the whole story, Stan. The nutshell story is Florida signed on to do a deal with Celsius when they were worth about $10 million overall. The deal was uh, Florida would get 1% of the company of, if the promotion was successful and certain goals were achieved. These goals were achieved, and apparently Celsius decided that they did not want to give him 1% of the company, and that was just too valuable at the time. So to give you an idea of what happened, when the deal was signed, Celsius was worth about $10 million. Because this drug on so long and went to litigation, by the time Flo Rider settled his suit, Celsius was worth $8.2 billion, which made Flo Riders take $82 million. They had to pay him $82 million on a contract they initially thought was going to be 100000 and they could have settled for much cheaper along the way. But they dug their heels in, they said we're not doing it, and karma came and bit them in the ass. I think their stock took, uh, like that stock literally took like a 10% dive when the verdict was reached. I mean, that's a huge, huge number to people. It's a nice fee too. I mean, after the attorney fees are paid, I was walking away with about $50 million. Not bad. Oh, absolutely. Nice fee for Flowrider, a nice fee for everyone involved. The only losers here are Celsius. And if the findings in the court documents are correct, if in fact they did breach the contract as Flowrider alleges, and that's what the court said, they deserve it. Okay. Pay someone what you owe. If you make a deal with someone, honor your deal. Don't try to get out of it. Don't try to say, oh, wow, that worked out really well for you. I need to change the terms. We've all dealt with those kind of people. Yes. None of us like them. Mm -hmm. And every one of us wants to kick them in the ass if we can, and the court just did. And you kind of like to see that, and it sounds like we say that it sends a message to other people. Don't screw around. Pay people what you owe them. If not, it's going to hurt you more. But you know, a lot of these celebrity endorsements these days are like that. You know, Shaquille O'Neal gets involved in these companies for a piece of the action, not just a check. And it's worked out very well for a lot of these people unless someone decides they don't want to honor the deal. Any other subjects you want to cover today, Stan? Well, I mean, we're running on like 25 minutes, and I got a feeling we're going to be hitting the attention span of a lot of viewers. So if we want to hit on something, I think maybe we wrap up, we can do another podcast on some entirely fresh subjects so as not to bore one group too much. I appreciate having you, Brian. Thank you so much for having me on today. Hey, Brian, it's always great talking to you. I really do appreciate you coming on and helping us through this stuff. This has been another edition of our David and Goliath podcast with myself, Matt Dolman, and our special guest, Brian Hannon, today. 
we always enjoy this. I think you can tell it's a little lighthearted, and as much as it is presenting the news, it's it's a fun exercise with us going through the facts of current events. So we appreciate you guys sitting out here listening to us, and we will catch you on the next podcast. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of David versus Goliath is over, but your journey is just getting started. To share your story with us, visit dolmanlaw.com. That's D-O-L-M-A-N-Law.com or call 866-965-6242. The insights and views presented in David vs. Goliath are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney, nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. Any case result information provided on any portion of this podcast should not be understood as a promise of any particular result in a future case. Dolman Law Group. Big firm results. Small firm personal attention.